The 17th century marked the beginning of women professionally joining the acting profession, and as such brought about change in the career opportunities for women. Madeleine Bejart was one of these actresses who was notorious for her liaison and working relationship with famed playwright Moliere. But let's not define a woman by her relationships with men, shall we? Hi, it's Lady Katie, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Maidens of the Flame. And in deciding what and who I would talk about for this very first episode, I realized, Katie, why don't you do Madeline Bejart? Because, and I'm being completely honest, because I did my thesis on her and her life and just really honing in on exploring her personal life and how it connected to her work with Moliere in that company. And I just kept digging and digging and digging until I found this really interesting little like nugget in this little like moment in time in these people and you may be wondering how I came about her how did I learn about her because you know if you google her you get you know a sparsely written wikipedia page and you know a couple some if you dig even deeper you find some academic text written in french and so you're like okay well I don't speak french so let's find something else. And so I came about her in by reading a play called Labette by David Huron. And I did a little Googling about the show because, you know, I wanted to learn more about, you know, the inspiration behind it. And I found out that it was partially inspired by a one act by Moliere called The Rehearsal at Versailles, where fictional versions of Moliere and his troupe are participating in a rehearsal. And, you know, it's kind of one of those like comedies it's like oh it's so hard to run this rehearsal because everyone has their two cents they want to add so it's one of those kind of you know workplace comedies if you will and so to kick things off Madeline Bejart was born January 8th 1618 to Joseph Bejart and Marie Hervé in Paris and because Joseph was having trouble hanging on to a job, the family moved around Paris before settling into the, in the Marais district, home of the Théâtre du Marais. And so even from, you know, a young, even from like a, more, uh, her, a young age, Madeline was in close proximity to the arts and theater, which was really interesting. And... In 1632, Marie Hervé filed for a separation of property. This was not a marriage separation, just a splitting of the property between these two people so that Marie could get back the money she brought with her into the marriage because, you know, Joseph was having trouble hanging on to a job, like I said, and just because of kind of the financial instability that the family was experiencing so marie was like all right nope we're putting a stop to this i want my money back which is really brat really badass so you know madeline's already being surrounded by you know awesome women her mom was like i mean even in that time like 17th century where you know we're dealing the the patriarchy is survive is thriving at this point and so Following her mother's spirit, at age 18, 
Madeline filed for legal emancipation from her parents because in France at the time, both men and women did not reach their legal majority until 25. So Madeline was just, you know, wanting to break out and explore and be her own money-making person in the world. And so now that we have Madeline out here living her best independent woman life, we fast forward to 1643, where Madeline, her brother Joseph, and some guy named Moliere, it's not even his real name, his real name is Jean-Baptiste Boquin, but you know, this dude Moliere decide to get together to form a theater company. And in a style very similar, at least in my opinion, when I, you know, was researching, I got very strong old Hollywood musical vibes, you know, where all the kids are getting together to put on a show in the barn. And these actors were, these actors, you know, Madeline, Joseph, and Moliere were pretty darn close to that, you know, plot <laughs> structure because the first space they rented was actually a tennis court. And the early modern theater companies were doing found space theater before it was cool. And in they named their company the Illustra Theater, in my poor attempt at French. It is stipulated in their contract, which I find so interesting and awesome, that Madeline had her choice of roles. It is stipulated in the contract. It is written down like amidst the legal jargon that Madeline gets to choose her roles. It said Moliere and Joseph get to play the heroes because, you know, we're still operating in the stock character style of acting at this time where actors specialize in a character type. Since we have, you know, we have and had the Italian troops who brought over Commedia dell'arte when they first started to tour France. And so the French were like, hey, we can do that, but in French. And with a plot rather than scenarios and improvisation. Let's write some stuff down. And like any any young young theater company, it takes a shit ton of money to run a theater. So after running into some issues with creditors, the remnants of the former Illustra Theater got the hell out of town and toured throughout the French countryside. So pack your bags, we're going on a trip and hit and it has been said that it was because of Madeline's management skills, it played a role in the troops' eventual return to Paris. So it was through her, you know, tightening of the reins and really taking control of the management of their now touring troop that, you know, aided in their triumphant return that we all know and love. So now that we're in the countryside, it is the perfect time to introduce you to the two main relationships of our life. Now, this is also a reminder to listeners that we are not here to define Madeline by her liaisons and romantic partners, but to explain and educate, because when you had a long-term fling with one of the most famous French playwrights, you can't get away from it super easily, as I have learned as a researcher. And the first gentleman... To, and to, you know, have a strong enough, you know, presence in her life was Esprit de Raymond, the Comte 
de Modène and Madeline's first and possibly only foray into the world of courtesans and mistresses. Because, surprise, surprise, the, the Comte de Modène was already married to an older woman and, like any trophy husband, looked for connection elsewhere. It was with Modène that she had her first and possibly only child, a girl named Francoise, in 1638. What is remarkable is that the Comte recognized the child as his child, even going so far as to have his legitimate son serve as the baby's godparent. So, okay, I'm not going to give him brownie points for that, but, you know, could be worse. The bar is really low, but, you know, gotta give credit where credit is due, I guess. But, like, you know, all good things must come to an end, because Modène ran into some trouble, having, having taken part in a conspiracy against Car- uh, Speaking is hard. I promise I have two degrees in theater. I know how to speak. Fingers crossed. But anyway. <laughs> having taken part in a conspiracy against Cardinal Richelieu, yes, the same Richelieu of the Three Musketeers, and was a real person, if you didn't already know, because the archbishop wanted to resign. Oh, no, not not Richelieu, but an archbishop somewhere in France. Wanted to resign so that he could marry Princess Anne of Gonzaga, but did not receive Cardinal Richelieu's approval, which led to a conspiracy against him and, you know, Modin left for Sedan in 1639 due to this conspiracy and stopped making payments on the country house that he and Madeline shared, leading her to having to rent it out and ultimately returning to her parents' home in Paris. There is no official ending to the relationship as records like that do not exist, but it is safe to assume that this is around the time that Madeline moved on to bigger and better things. Because, oh, I meant to, you know structure this a little bit better, but her relationship with Modin was before the illustrious theater formed with Moliere. So, you know, we, we, we bounced a bit on the timeline there. <laughs> we're, we're rip-roaring ready, ready to go. And, you know, once Moliere and Madeline returned to Paris... Now, fast-forwarding a bit down the timeline, so, you know, she was with Modin for a little bit. That didn't work out, so she's like, okay, I'm back in Paris. I like acting. I'm pretty good at it. And so she, you know, meets up with her brother, Joseph, and is like, hey, let's form a theater company. And they're like, and then Moliere comes in and is like, oh, that sounds great. I can write the plays and act and stuff. So now that we've kind of reestablished the timeline there, we're going to continue on with Madeleine and Moliere's return to Paris after touring the French countryside. And to introduce ourselves to her theatrical career, here is a quote from Les mm, this pronunciation, Les Histoires by Talimont, and this is a quote from that. Talimont was like, you know, I guess the Perez Hilton of the time. He was, you know, into all the hot celebrity gossip 
and wanted to write it all down for people to share. And the quote goes, Let us end with La Béjard. I never saw her play, but it is said that she is the best actress of all. She is in a country troupe. She has played in Paris, but in a third troupe that was only there for a while. Her masterpiece was the character of Epocaris, whom Nero wanted to have tortured. A young fellow named Moliere left the benches of the Sorbonne to follow her. He was in love with her for a long time and finally married. Now, there's a lot that is not true about this quote from Talimont, who at the time when he's, you know, writing down all the juicy gossip because, well... It's, we don't know if Moliere left the benches of the Sorbonne to follow her. And we also know for a fact that he did not marry Madeline. He, in fact, married Armand Béjart, who history, you know, likes the drama. Like, was Armand Madeline's daughter? Or was Armand Madeline's sister? Ooh, so, so dramatic. Did Moliere maybe marry his own daughter? That's the kind of thing that, you know, once a narrative has been spun, it is hard to unspin it. So here we are. But let's let's focus more on, you know, the notoriety that even though Talamon did not see her play, did not see her act in anything, he didn't he just he just knew that or may have heard from other people that she was, you know, the best actress of all, which really says a lot about, you know, the name she was making for herself because, you know, he didn't have to see her in a show to know that she was good. And that really is awesome to think about when, you know, women are still, you know, this is, you know, maybe 30-ish years give 30 40 years into women being allowed to professionally act at all which is really awesome to hear which leads me to another fascinating quote about madeline by georges de scudery he said about this is about madeline she was beautiful she was gallant she sang well, she danced well, she played all sorts of instruments, she wrote very prettily in verse and in prose, and her conversation was very diverting. She was one of the best actresses of her century, and her acting had the power to inspire in reality all the feigned passions that one sees represented on the stage. This agreeable actress was called Jebar, and as Abenderis sought to divert himself and efface the memory of past adventures. He went to the theater where he saw her play the role of Sophonsipi? Yeah, we're going with that. In a manner so touching and so passionate that first he admired her and then he loved her. First his heart was tender with pity, then she stole it from him. Now, the word I want to really hone in on and I explain this in my thesis is the word gallant because there's something to dig deeper and figure out hidden within the connotations of that one word because in in contemporary times i you know went on to google translate and typed in gallant and it translated to english meaning gallant which is usually defined as you know a way to say brave but also 
what I found in my research was the galanterie, which was a broad term encompassing anything from mild flirtation to extramarital sexual relation. So the connotation of this one word paints two very different pictures of Madeline, depending on how you view it. Because the first one, if, you know, using the definition that I got from Google, like Google translating the word to English, it shows Madeline to be brave and valiant And it's a very progressive view of Madeline being the strong individual who was brave and, you know, take no prisoners. At least that's how I feel from reading about her and, you know, reading Moliere's plays and the characters he wrote for her. Doing and just shows that she was doing things that many of women of her time were not encouraged to achieve like being emancipated from your parents in order to buy property on her own and you know not giving in to too many societal standards and it's reflected in in the in the character she originated and but then you look at if you look at it through the lens of the galanterie you It shows, you know, it may have the connotation of Madeline, you know, fulfilling the coquettish, seductress stereotype that many actresses fall into and fell into during these times. So, in my research and in my exploration of her life, I like to use the... I like to use the connotation of gallant, brave, badass... Because it changes the narrative surrounding, you know, her and actresses to one that promotes strength and independence while also moving away from the biases of the past. And why I find her so interesting is because there's not a whole lot, I mean... There's texts written about her, but it's all, you know, through the lens of, you know, how this small little blip in the life of the great, powerful Moliere. And as I was doing my thesis research, one of the few contemporary works in English that was super helpful was Moliere, A Theatrical Life, and... Women on the Stage in Early Modern France, 1540 to 1750. Both of these books are by Virginia Scott. They are really good. I highly suggest that you read them if, you know, you're into theater history and feminism and all that jazz. But it's really well written and it it really served my research well. And as I was, because I found that you know a lot there were more works written there's more like scholarly study we'll put it in the 19th century about her but you know it was in the victorian era so they were you know trying to sanitize moliere's reputation and so you know they probably they were it seemed like they were painting her as more of like oh she's you know the love uh, the love of Moliere's life, that is her sole purpose in being, she's just, you know, part of his narrative. Well, that's, you know, 
you know, kind of create some space and really give Madeline the time and study that I feel like she deserves. And, you know, it was really nice to have the Virginia Scott's work to go back to because, you know, it was written in like 2010, 2013, I think. So it was really good to have a more contemporary view of things. And it was written by a woman. So we're not getting, you know, into the pitfalls that the 19th century had when we had all these old dudes writing about her and, you know, being like, oh, she was, you know, oh, those actresses. The, the love, one of the loves of Moliere's life, blah, 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 blah. And so, but, you know, when I was doing my research for my thesis, it was also good to run into Virginia Scott's work because, like I said, there, a lot of it was written in French. And I ran into that as a problem because I do not speak or read French fluently. I took two years of it in high school because, you know, it's... A mandatory thing to graduate high school so I was like I'll take French so thankfully throughout my time <laughs> working on my thesis I had you know the trusty Google Translate at my side and I was able to glean the information I needed from the texts please don't think down of me because it because of it I swear I am a professional I swear I'm an academic and scholar but I did not have the time to learn a language fluently enough to be able to read texts on it in articles and essays. I apologize in advance to the, the great scholarly gods for that. Um, and another part and another aspect of my thesis was Anna doing a bit of a character study of a couple of characters she from Moliere's more famous works. To kind of see like the parallels between her personality and how Moliere wrote for her. Because as I said, um, or I didn't mention this, but I will mention it now. Because at this time, the way theater and plays were written is, you know, the troops had their resident playwright. And the playwright wrote with their actors in mind. And with the stock characters that each actor was specialized in. Because going back to earlier, when we, because we're still in that whole, we just have, you know, the stock characters. We're not thinking too psychologically with this very, you know, presentation style of theater and acting. So for my work, I would like to, you know, go in and talk about um, her role of Doreen in Tartuffe, which is probably in, you know, everyone's, you know, general consensus was, you know, Tartuffe is one of the more well-known, more produced works of Moliere. And I have a little monologue that I've pulled from Act 2, Scene 2, which kind of shows Doreen's character. And I'll go, and so here is uh, a little monologue from Act 2, Scene 2 by Doreen. She says, yes, so she, he tells us, 
but his vanity does not sit so well with true piety. A man pleased with a, a simple sanctity needn't vaunt his name and his dignity, and the humility born of devotion suffers beneath such blatant ambition. What good is his pride? But perhaps I digress. Let's not speak of the man, not his nobleness. Can you bestow without feeling like a rat, a girl like this on a man like that? And shouldn't you think of propriety and foresee the end with anxiety? We know that some girls cannot remain chaste if their husband's tush is not to their taste, and that the best laid plans for an honest life are somewhat easier for the best laid wife, and that many a man with a horned head had, has driven his wife to another man's bed. It is entirely too much to ask that a wife be faithful to a flabby ass, and one who gives a girl to a man she hates is guilty before God for all his mistakes. Consider the perils you expose yourself to. Now, I would like to preface this. I got this translation from Project Gutenberg, which is a, a website with um, that has a database of lots of different... Um, translations of texts it has it posts a bunch you know if you want to find ibsen or Chekhov, you can look there for a version of the text so that's where i got this version and this translation of tartuth so if you've read a um, different one there's definitely some you know different word changes here and there but i like the way this frames doreen because Doreen's function is in the play, if you haven't read it already, is, you know, she's the sassy, witty servant that, you know, doesn't take too much shit. She's, you know, kind of probably one of the smartest of the characters. And so it's really interesting to see. And if you look at other characters Madeline Bejar has played in Moliere's works, is that she... Because of her, you know, sa smart, smassy, sassy role as a character is, she is saying what, she is not afraid to call out the hypocrisy. She is not afraid to call bullshit on people, which is so fascinating that this was written in the 17th century and it just proves how timeless these works are for one but you know there needed to be some part of madeline or even a even a big part of madeline that you know bled into this character at least from my interpretation of what i've learned about her biography and the text so it's really really awesome to see how in Moliere's works, he wrote roles for Madeline that spoke to, you know, the problems with the patriarchal society that they lived in. And he was not afraid to, and I mean, to a certain point, she was not afraid to speak these words. She was... Because to have that sort of connection, I feel like you need to have a certain amount of your personality to be 
in line with your character. And it definitely shows with Madeline. And it's... Even... here. Here's another... Um, part of the text. This is from Act 2, Scene 3 of Tartuffe. So this is like the next scene after the monologue I just read for you. Doreen says... Tell him you can't love on command, that you marry for yourself, not by demand. And since you are most concerned in these affairs, you'll choose for yourself the sire of his heirs. And that, if Tartuffe is so charming to him, he can wed him himself, if that's his whim. And I find that so awesome, because it, a part of Madeline's history was that she was almost married she almost was forced to marry a man older than she was i mean eventually fell apart because you know neither party really benefited from the match but to know that little nugget of her backstory makes this monologue so powerful and not just in her life but for women at that time because Marriage was a business transaction, and so to have a character, a servant, by that fact, say, yeah, no, marry for love, don't marry for wealth or connection, or if you just don't like the guy, and that speaks volumes at this time. And it's so interesting in comparing... An, an interesting little tidbit is when I also compared the character of Doreen from Tartuffe to the role of Madelon in The Pretentious Ladies, or in French, Les Précieuses Ridicules, or my poor attempt at speaking French. Because Madelon, which was an earlier role for Madeleine, is has a totally different view about marriage. She's like, Madelon is like, I'm fine with marriage just as long as I get wooed. Like, I'm okay with getting married, but, you know, the man will have to put in the work to, you know, seduce me and make it worth my while in a way. And so to say, to compare those two roles of Madelon and Doreen... It's it just speaks to what needed to be said at this in this time period and it's just it's so great. And so I leave you all with this quote from Virginia Scott in I believe it's the um the early modern women on the stage book that I mentioned earlier. She says, Madeleine Béjart came very close to being a star. If only she had stayed in Paris, and if she had been less attached to the star of Molière, she was undoubtedly a fine actress both in comedy and tragedy, but especially in tragedy, which could have set her apart, and had she remained in Paris during the time that tragedy was being reintroduced to the French theater. Which leaves us with this question of what if, 
What if Madeline was the linchpin or played a more significant role in the making of Moliere, the play, the, the celebrated playwright that we know of? And just now is the time we shine a spotlight on her and give her the credit where credit is due. Because it seems like from looking at her biography and the role she played, there was an opportunity to make her one of the great stars. But like that great question of what if that we never will know or see that makes life so fascinating to look at. And these people from history and in even in literature. So, think about that. A little bit of food for thought. You wouldn't expect that coming from Katie. You wouldn't expect that coming from me. So, that was a fun little little brain teaser to leave you off with. Thank you very much for listening. And, or, that may just be poor. Meh. On the next episode of Maidens of the Flame, since we are gearing up for Halloween, we're going to be diving into some gothic romanticism with the wonderful, amazing novel Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. I am so excited to dive into this book and character with you all, and I look forward to seeing you all come back. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.